Fire. Hi, everybody. This is Shaber Shaberi back at the Shaber Show. I'm really excited, as always, to have my next guest, Peter Nixie. We actually connected through LinkedIn. I found his posts on social media and specifically LinkedIn very fascinating, very, very genuine. And the specific post I'm talking about that, how I reached out to him was he was talking about how so many people reflect on the failures and obviously getting over failures and persevering, having grit but not letting it take you down on a consistent basis. And then kind of in parallel, he mentioned that your story is not everybody else's story. So don't always kind of follow that story. You could create your own story in the process and be successful. So I thought that was great. And Peter, uh, you know, that post was awesome. And I'm excited that you're part of the, the Chaubert Show podcast. And by the way, you're the first entrepreneur investor I've had uh, from the UK. So welcome on. <laughs> well, I feel flattered. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining. So we'd love a quick intro about yourself uh, and your kind of your book, uh, your background. Yeah, sure. So I've been in startups ever since I left university. Um, I was doing a PhD in computer vision um, at Oxford, but I was really interested. Like it was basically kind of a means to an end for me. I wanted to get technology to start a company, and at that time, computer vision definitely wasn't. It wasn't something that was really being commercialized. And so I kind of got drawn more and more into web stuff. And then that got me into doing startups and took me out to San Francisco. Um, I was in summer 2007 class of YC. So that was the fifth YC. Sold that company and then came back to the UK. And then I've kind of done a blend of building different products, a little bit of investment stuff, a lot of advisory stuff for other startups. And now I am building a new company called Intentional. Awesome. You mentioned 2007 YC. You, you were in the early days. Were you were you the first or was, um, I'm trying to remember, was it Ahmad and Jude uh, with Hazap? I know they were some of the first from the UK through the YC uh, batch, but were you in the same batch or later? I'm just curious. Well, it's funny that you mentioned Ahmad. Ahmad did um he did yc for the second time with hazap and he actually did yc for the first time with me oh, so wow. he was my co-founder when we went through yc and wow, we were world. yeah so but the first brits out were um harjit and colvia tagger who were doing automatic at the time with patrick and john collison before mm-hmm. they then went on into strike oh wow man it's crazy it's so different now from what it was the early days and obviously, I kind of call it like the Ivy League to the startup world, where it's like a good bridge to get in and accelerate yourself. But that back then, I thought, as many things, I mean, we could have this discussion. I'm, int- I'm intrigued with your story, because you obviously have interesting posts on LinkedIn about stuff. For me, I was like, I started my career in 06, at plug and play 2006. And I felt like after the dot-com crash and the beginning of the web 2.0 kind of craze and boom... There was a lot more purity as far as entrepreneurship and tech and fluidity. And I'm not to say this is not there. It's just, it's a different beast now. There's a lot of money involved. There's it's a lot of like bureaucracy. There's also a lot of like, a lot of people coming in that have different intentions than what it was that you just purely want to start companies to help. But I'm curious your thought process on something like this. Did you see it different than, than it is now? I'm still very optimistic. There's a lot of interesting, cool people that are understated. And this is one of the reasons why I'm doing this show. <laughs> I show these, feature these people 
but I am curious to think, uh, you know, you've been through the early days of Y Combinator through like, obviously now a couple of decades or a decade and a half of uh, working in tech, kind of your perspective of what has happened. And I'm interested to hear your thoughts again about the UK ecosystem too. Yeah, um, it's a great question. Um, it's hard for me. I haven't spent a ton of time in San Francisco since I left and I left in 2010. Got it. It was all super nascent then. Um, everything was just getting going. Dropbox was actually in our YC batch. So we all lived in the same building together. Um, in fact, there was a point when us, Dropbox, Weebly, um, Discuss, and even possibly the Justin TV crew were all in the same building together. So oh, that wow. was fun. Um, I haven't been back. So um, when I was there, which was kind of the same time that you were at Plug and Play, it was just, it was a very nice vibe and it was exciting. And kind of, I think there was a sense of people finding each other and, and there was like, there was just so much potential. Mm-hmm. And I haven't been in contact a lot since with the Valley, but I do remember somebody who um, I won't name, but everybody would know their name. I was talking to him um, when he popped over to the UK once and he said, these days it's like basically low stakes game of thrones. Um, <laughs> it was like, there's a lot of politics, there's a lot of moving. And as you said, there's just a lot of money. Yeah. And I think the UK has kind of gone through a very similar change, but it's just probably lagged the States by, I guess, like five or six years. So when I came back from the States, it was all kicking off there. It wasn't really like, there was, the scene was very nascent in the UK. There weren't a ton of funds. All the entrepreneurs coming into it were coming in fresh. Now what you're seeing is, A, there's a lot more money, and B, I think another interesting change is that people are starting companies who have been working at successful startups previously now, and that changes the game quite a lot because I think kind of people's experience and expectations and and everything is different. Correct. And you, you know, it's interesting there, and it's a great point. So that is definitely a huge difference from like when we started till now because people mention, oh, why hasn't tech why hasn't the tech scene had its own bump or crash? You know, is this a, too much of a flop? The last 10 years I've been hearing this. And to a certain extent, I go to these people, I'm like, look, it's a lot different now. It's a lot smarter. You're talking about people who have a lot more capital in place with successful companies who are putting it back in the system and understand what it takes to fail. And people are doing things a lot quicker. They're not going to, they're not going to let something fail quicker. They actually just like, uh, you know, move forward with it. So it's like the lean startup idea, basically test and fail quick and move forward or try new things. So, yeah, because I remember back again, this might be obviously different times. And I mentioned there's a lot more capital in startups and a different, I can imagine different verticals, at least in my space in like mobile gaming and, and apps and advertising. The UK has been pretty good. There's definitely been a couple startups successful, one of which, for example, Hutch Games several years ago, they're out of shortage London. They sold for several hundred million dollars. So they've done quite well for themselves after 10 years of just kind of bootstrapping and cash flow. And they did raise some funding from British investors and some external. But I remember like back in the day, and this is not just like, you know, in the UK, uh, it's like globally, the startup idea and funding was completely different. Back uh, when I started, you know, Silicon Valley had the process where, oh, we give you a certain amount of capital. We only take like a certain amount of equity to scale. Versus I remember people from abroad or even outside the Bay Area would be like, yeah, I have an investor, but they've taken 50 to 70% of my company in like the first or two rounds. I'm like, oh my God, (laughs) 
you know, so this, that, uh, the Silicon Valley business model of the startup kind of plan, the funding has now been pretty much copycatted globally. And I think that ecosystem place where it's kind of, I call it the hub and spoke where, yeah, San Francisco, Silicon Valley can be the hub, but the spokes can be London, Berlin, New York, you know, Austin and so forth. But yeah, so you were mentioning about, um, you know, computer vision right now, obviously AI is a big thing and you've mentioned your start of your career. Can you go into details then right out of the college? Did you, you started, you know, doing full-time job? Did you start your company? I know mean, you started a company called ClickPass. You know, was that right after college? Was that the one you went to YC or, or no? I, so ClickPass was what I took to YC. Um, okay. So it's funny. One of the things that I've reflected on is that I've, so I think I've done, I've done about 29 different software projects. Um, Wow. To kind of from the extent of like just mocking stuff up through to like building a product through to selling it to people through to selling the company and like that thing that number is like a pipeline like uh, it's a funnel there's a bunch of drop off through that and if I look at the different things I've done like out of those twenty nine different projects I've actually been in the right place at the right time definitely with two of them and I'm hoping with the one that I'm doing now but I didn't mm. totally realize it. So the very first thing that I did was when I left in well, kind of the thing that I left my PhD to do was to build a, um, what you see is what you get content management system. It was in JavaScript and this was like so early in JavaScript that jQuery hadn't even been written yet. This was still in the day when you go to these mapping sites and you'd want to go right on the map and the whole page would reload because you just click the right thing and then it would load the whole panel of map that was to the right. And so I'd just been basically kind of exploring what the browser could do by opening up Firebug and like literally there wasn't any documentation on the web. So I was just literally looking in the debugger to see what API calls were available. And I found this XML HTTP request, which is kind of the core of Ajax, which became kind of the core of single page applications and realized that you could kind of create this, um, this website editor where you didn't have to, like you could edit stuff in the page without reloading the whole page. And and you could do it WYSIWYG so it would look like how it was going to come out at the end. But I went through, like, I didn't know anything about, I mean, not many people did, to be fair, but I definitely didn't know anything about how to create a web business, and SaaS wasn't even a term. And I was just building it on my own, and I wasn't that good. I mean, the reality was, I look back, like, I wasn't that good a developer. I mean, I, I was a good developer, but I wasn't an experienced developer. And it was just a bigger project than I could manage. And I had no idea how to get capital or where to get capital from or who to even hire if I got capital. And so I kind of built it, sold it to a couple of companies and then kind of rolled on from it because I just didn't know what I had. But that was pre-Wix, pre-Weebly. Like, Interesting. I wouldn't say it's a shame because like, I'm not sure. Like, Even if I went back, I'm like, I still didn't have the knowledge. Um so I don't feel like a sense of regret. I'm just kind of interested as I look back that it was the right idea in the right time. And it's interesting kind of reflecting on. I think the main thing I reflect on from that is actually how unclear it is. Like when you are in the right place at the right time, still yeah. how unclear it is. Like if you really are at the right time, because the right time is it's like before people even really realize it's a thing. You really check yourself and you're like, it seemed blindingly obvious to me that like that everyone was going to need a website and it was a really rotten experience creating websites with the tools out there at the time. But 
but even something as like as obvious in retrospect as that, like you don't necessarily you, you don't realize it at the time. And that happened to me again, actually, um, a few years mm-hmm. later, just as I was leaving Silicon Valley. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. You did definitely like you know took your passion or something you were trying to figure out. You created it, you sold it to people, and you were probably having fun. You're making money. And um, that's not a bad thing. I mean, sometimes, like you mentioned, you don't need to raise capital for everything. There's a lot of actually companies like this that are out there. It's it's untold because they're not getting the press coverage or it's not glamorous. It's not a consumer-based product, for example. I I honestly think, just to to jump in with that, I think there's actually... I have a suspicion that actually when people are bootstrapped, like I'm not sure that a lot of the publicity that people seek out through funding actually does the company any good. Because what it really does is wave a flag and it says, look, there's money over here. And so a bunch of people come over with money and start digging. If you are doing well and you've got like a bootstrap company and you don't need to create that fanfare to attract more funding, you just STFU and quietly get on with it because you don't want people coming over and like digging alongside you. You have to quietly dig on your own. Well, uh, okay, let's talk about this now. Let's dissect this because there is, I think this is kind of like different approaches. So what I, and I brought this up to a friend of mine this week and we had this conversation and I'm like, look, a lot of times I've noticed outside of, let's say, US, specifically Silicon Valley, a lot of companies are built out and they have to be cash flow positive because you know people's livelihood are on the line. Like you're just talking about like something like, oh, I'm going to do this. I need to make money from the day one. So a lot of times they don't even think about raising capital. The other thing too is the concept of funding shouldn't be from like just a, an idea. And sure, you have a great team. And now like it's a lab, like a university lab, try to test things out. It's generally more the other way around. You have a product, you have the team, you just need to scale it. And I almost call it like, you know, I call it, Maybe it's not the best for terminology, but like steroids to the business. And you're, you're amplifying it 10 to 100 times faster with this capital. In return, the person who's giving you the money or the people who are, they're expecting like massive returns at a faster you know, pace. So it's almost more tech to my perspective with the funding is almost turning more into like a finance business model where you basically invest in a certain handful of companies good amount of them hopefully sell. And then you're looking for that one big unicorn that becomes like the return on investments for the fund, for everybody in the business, so on and so forth. To me, that's more like a finance kind of business than it really is technology. Because disruptive products could be successful on their own. There's been some successful companies. Like a good one on the web is Fiverr. I talked about like, you know, Fiverr is a company that's been cash flow positive, And I think they went public recently. Maybe a SPAC, but I don't think they've raised one cent of like venture capital money. And it's simple. It's like, oh, you need somebody to do something for you, pay five bucks. And, you know, a percentage of that Fiverr tapes, takes. <laughs> There's always yeah. somebody trying to do something on the web or your like day-to-day stuff. And they compete with like, like TaskRabbits or Postmates, like this type of products to even like Upwork. So there was a community for that. Well, I think yeah. so kind of moved... I'm bootstrapping intentional, um, which is the product I'm building now. And but the reason I moved to that was, I can you explain once, what intentional is for people? And then yeah, I'll, sure. I'll ask you about uh, your point about why you're doing bootstrap. So, um, so intentional is a personal time manager, and at at its kind of the easiest way to manage it at the moment is an incredibly simple to do list. So you get a clean 
you get a clean start every day. You put your tasks on and then you can kind of manage your backlog of stuff. And the idea behind it is, at the moment, just, it, as I said, it's very simple. It's it's kind of a very nice, clean, simple to-do list that gives you a fresh start each day. But the the vision with it and the goal is to start to capture the way that you're actually spending your time so that I can fold that information back to you. And that will, I, I, have a, I think that that's going to help change the way that people actually deploy their time. So similarly to basically how you, if you give somebody a step counter, they end up taking more steps. If people have a really good understanding of where their time is going, I think that will alter how they actually end up spending their time. So that's, and that's intentional.io. Um, yeah, so that's what that is. Great. Thanks for explaining. And by the way, I haven't tried it yet. I, I want to test it out. I, I think it kind of reminds me a little of to-do list. But the other thing it really reminds me is my father growing up, his MBA hat always came into play as time management, time management. And he ingrained that into me, like my lifestyle since like I was in high school and college. And now I'm obsessed about making sure things are timely and done right. And you break your, I break my day down into like maybe batches of like three hours, you know, there and how to complete stuff. Uh, Cause I feel like in three hours, you could be very productive. After three hours, you need to take a break. That's just my personal viewpoint. But um, yeah, I, I'm, it's fascinating. I'm, I'm happy to ask more, but let's talk about, because I interrupted asking what intentional is. Like you were talking about bootstrapping and why, and why are you doing that now, with, uh, you know, intentional. So I've been in startups for 18 years now. And I think when you come into this, like it's exactly the same mindset as going into a casino. You're like, you know, the odds are against you, but it looks like I'm going to win. All right. You've just got this belief that you're going to get lucky. That it's going to be you. And I think after you've, Oh, my experience was basically being in it for such a long time, just mm. saw the brutal reality of it that that I didn't have a big hit with any of the things that I'd done so far. I, do, I built some great products that people really like, but that's different thing from creating something that turns into a really large business. And I've seen a lot of really, really good entrepreneurs around me like fight for a long time and end up really just not having a good time. Like they raise this capital. Um, in fact, let me just give my experience. Let's not talk about everybody else. Yes, but, please. But my experience is the couple of times that I have raised, I've been reading a bit about the kind of history of venture capital and, and also kind of looking around at some of the peers I know. I think that like when when you have a team of people that are in the right place and the capital can like just kind of enable them to execute, then that's when this kind of tiered funding, timed funding model works and it like and you heat things up but most of the time a lot of people and I had this was my experience like I didn't have other people that I immediately knew to pull in and I didn't even like know that I was in necessarily the right place with stuff so what you what I then ended up with was this experience where you kind of get capital in and it lights the fuse but the reality is like by the time I got to the next round just wasn't ready to raise the next round and mm -hmm. I didn't have a story that like was compelling at that point the the company i did in yc like i literally had no idea how it was going to make money when we had to kind of come out of yc and raise and then i raised money again i got um i got approached randomly by coca-cola who offered to fund me to start a company which was pretty mad yeah and that's fascinating. Was, so that was nuts but there again like because of the nature of the way that that the, the peculiar nature of the way that that kind of literally came out of the blue to me. I didn't have something that was kind of 
market ready or kind of a strong proposition. And so by the time they're funding, I kind of burned through this first round of funding. I wasn't in a position to wasn't in a position to say like I'm at this next round. So like and I from seeing experience of other founders, that's not particularly unique. Like most people are kind of at the end of this seed round or angel round, like everyone's always really kind of a round or two behind nominally where they're actually raising. And Correct. so I, the effect that I felt, I didn't like being in that place in the company. I don't like having, I think it's very hard having employees rather than true co-founders. Um, mm. It's very hard having employees that you have to direct when you're pre-product market fit. Like that's, that's really that's, true. It's a really difficult thing for people to wrap their heads around the fact that what they're doing might not work and it doesn't work. Like people need more belief and direction than that. You yeah, also, uh, sorry to interrupt, but like you also have an investor background right before this. Is that correct? So you have some perspective on the other side to also, you know, make this judgment. Unless I'm, is that correct? Yeah. So I spent a little time. I mean, I've done a few angel investments and okay. I spent, um, when, so are you familiar with Entrepreneur First? I'm not. So Entrepreneur First is like a really successful fund in the UK and actually worldwide now. And they pursued very sensibly the founders, Matt and Alice, very, very smart. And so when they started up Entrepreneur First, rather than kind of doing the copy, the kind of print and copy um, version of YC that everybody else was doing, they went okay. upstream and they said, look, A, there's no point competing against YC because you're going to always lose the best companies to YC. But B, like there aren't enough companies being formed. So they basically would recruit people who were not co-founders into the program and match them up in the program as co-founders. And then they would come out with a company. So mm -hmm. I, I um, was a venture partner there for a year and advised a lot of the teams in a couple of the batches. And... So I ended up, um, yeah, so I ended up involved with one of them. And then I was a venture partner with a fund called Briga Capital for a year as well. So I spent a bunch of time seeing decks, hearing pitches and, um, and making a few investments. Okay. Got it. And then when did you have the, like kind of the aha moment that it's time to start intentional? Was it the, you just were working on intentional because it's something you were working on for yourself? Was it something, you know, just hit and then you were just like, I'm not going to raise capital. I'm just going all in here. And you had a co-founder who was really passionate about it. You know, like what's the backstory with it? So I had been looking around. So I, I mean, I'm always wanting to kind of start and build a company and build a company, by the way, not, not sell a company, like build a company and keep building. And um, I, Thanks. we've moved to Bath recently, which is a beautiful city in the UK, but funny yeah. enough, just up the road is a company that really... It really captures a lot of what I care about and kind of would like to build as a vision. And that company is Dyson. And Dyson is now the richest guy in the UK. That company oh, wow. is private. Yeah. Like, he still works there. Decades later, they build cool stuff. Like it's a cool company. And that's what I'm interested in building. Like I've never been interested in kind of build and flip. So Interesting. when I was looking to start... Um, I'd been building a product called Copyin. I have a product called Copyin, which is a, a community platform that's built in email. Works a little bit like a mailing list, but more powerfully, and it gets really kind of nice engagement. But it really, it's a lovely product, but it really struggled as a company. It was really, really hard to, it was a really slow sales cycle and people didn't have much appetite to pay. 
So when I started looking at what I was going to do next, I had these constraints and my constraints were that I wanted something so I can do pretty much everything that needs to be done to build a piece of software. Like I've done so much over the years that I can do the design, the customer development, the build. And so my constraints were that I wanted something that I could reasonably get to 100,000 in annual recurring revenue over a two-year period mm-hmm. um, that wouldn't need external investment so that I could build myself and had scope for at least 10 million a year in terms of revenues. So those are the constraints that I had for what I would consider building. And, and with those constraints, they'd like reduce down some of the, like I looked at products that they could have been, and I would still love to build them. They could have been great products, but they, there's no way that I could have like got them to a hundred grand in ARR without venture funding. So I just had to discard them. So I had this in the background and actually I was doing customer development. I, done customer development for another product that I was really excited about that had a great fit, a great potential, but it was in group travel. And so I had this, like, everything looked good with this. And then coronavirus hit. And I was like, do I want to pursue a group travel startup in the middle of a hundred year pandemic? Or am I going to like rethink? And I had basically already built intentional in, in a very different format for myself out of like Airtable and Google Data Studio and Zapier. And I'd kind of toyed with the idea of building it as a commercial product, but I was already heavily committed into the thing I was doing. But then when I had to put that down, or I decided that the sensible thing was to put that down, then I thought, well, I'll take this, I'll build Intentional. Well, it wasn't Intentional then, I didn't have the name, Um, but I'll build build this tool. It's a great name, by the way. It's It's definitely the best name I've had over the years. Yeah, I mean, they mentioned like how to figure out names. Uh, one of it is just like have a name that is obviously what it means. And <laughs> this definitely intentionally is that. Um, that's first. Uh, the couple of things before I go into like, you know, the continuous building products question and point. One is I definitely have a couple of friends uh, in the UK mentioned that they've moved to places like Bath. It seems like it's becoming more of an up and coming town, a little bit hipster. So I'd love to come visit and see what, how that yeah, is. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, everybody you loves to it. in touch with them. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then, yeah, the Dyson. So the, the gentleman who started Dyson is more, uh, he's the wealthiest person in UK, even more than, you know, Rich Bronson and others. Is that I correct? I think so, yeah. I think he's now top of the, wow. top of the rich list. He's also yeah. got really interesting. Funnily enough, like, I, he's a bit of a curmudgeon. Like, he's not, I don't think he's that nice a guy. But gotcha. he, interestingly... He also basically, if you, he's got a really interesting autobiography and he basically sat in a room and prototypes the cyclone vacuum for eight years, like just prototype for eight years. Like his wife was, um, it was his wife's income that they were surviving off until he finally hit wow. it. So yeah, I can kind of, I definitely relate to his story. Yeah. That obsession. Uh, I mean, one of, if not maybe still to this day, my favorite book is outliers by Malcolm Gladwell about that. Just a you know, the generalization of the 10,000 hour rule, you know, at some point you get after 10,000 hours, you're going to be like an expert in that. I don't know if that's like a specific case. I think it's just like mastering a craft. Like you become so obsessed about something. Sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But uh, wow, after eight years, that's a kudos to both him and his wife for supporting and patient through that process, right? And then, you know, you mentioned about you and products, for example, and continuously you know, I'm curious, like through what you've created, you said you've intentional with something before it is something now. And then what are some iterations that you could share that like 
you know, it, over time you're changing products uh, you've worked on uh, through intentional and maybe even outside of that. Can you ask the question so as I make sure I understand? Oh, yeah, that. yeah. Sorry for the clear. So basically you mentioned like I want to work on product, continuous product development, new products. Like basically you mentioned the, the founder of Dyson, how he kept creating new products and was obsessed about that. Can you kind of share your experiences doing something like that? Well, I guess, I mean, I've always been, apart from like I got, when I first left my PhD, I like just was coding, just coding, coding, coding. And the thing was, it wasn't working. So funnily enough, like I got PTSD from coding. Like I would sit down and just literally the, the editor oh, would make me, the editor would like f- fill me with so much anxiety that I didn't code for like two years. I didn't code in ClickPass when I was in YC, like Imad was doing all of the coding then. And I eventually came back to it. But I love, like, I love the process of designing. I love mm. designing good product. I love designing good process. Like, I'm fascinated by how you can, you can use product and process to encode and, and empower the way that things happen. And, and funnily enough, you brought up the 10,000 hours. So I first heard about that when Mark Andreessen was coming to talk to our YC class. And he mentioned that book. And I absolutely loved Talent is Overrated, the book that kind of, Gladwell like based his stuff on. Sure. Um, so that book kind of really changed my perspective on things a lot. And over life, kind of over time, over the years, like I look back and I'm like, it is pretty clear that where I've put time and money, I've got results. Like where I've spent time and effort on things and usually some degree of investment, I've ended up getting, getting good at it. Like I used to dance competitively at university. I started kind of working out much more aggressively in the past few years. Mm. I've obviously spent a ton of time coding. And that was actually, so So when I was doing the last company I was doing, CopyIn, which was this, this um, email platform, I realized I was spending a lot of time and I wasn't getting anything out of it. And so mm. I, like, it wasn't moving me forward. So I thought, well, if I was a piece of software, like I would profile me. I'd like look at where the cycles were going and then I'd address, like figure out what was going on in the system and optimize it. So the beginning of intentional was actually a process of just really aggressively logging how I was spending my time and then cross-matching that against what I was intending to do and cross-matching that against like then kind of profiling at the start and the end of the week. Well, how did I intend to spend my time and how did my time actually end up getting spent? Hmm. with the idea that basically once I can start, if I kind of go from that premise of where I invest time, I get results, then I can start zooming out because I can start to get an idea on a day, week, month, year level of how I'm deploying myself. And, and that's, that's kind of relatable to pretty much sounds like your startup intentional, right? It's, uh, it's literally it. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. That's amazing. It's a great, great perspective. And then uh, you've been obviously continuously iterating on the products for this platform. I mean, with the amount of time that we have, I, I want to have like one or two quick questions. And one of this is like, I actually, like, again, I, I'm intrigued by your post on LinkedIn. It's very genuine. It's pretty direct. You know, is there a specific intention with some of your posts? You know, like, what are you trying to share? Like, is it personal stories you're sharing for people you know, is there, are you just doing it and it's not really intentional? I'm just curious about that. Well, I wasn't really posting anything. So I had this, like, for the last couple of years, I've been building intentional. And so I'm, I built the whole thing myself. And wow. 
that's fine, but it also gets really lonely and you can start to lose a sense of self as well. Like, like if you're not out there kind of interacting with people. And so I wanted right. to, I was actually starting to post on LinkedIn just to kind of a, get my writing back in, um, back in hand and, and B to just kind of get, well, I was actually kind of doing it to, um, help add some people to some of the coaching that I do. So I do a little bit of coaching of founders. And so I thought, well, okay, if I just had a couple of people who told me how they kind of built up really strong followings on LinkedIn. And so I thought, well, if I just put, have the discipline to go out there and produce some content, then, then maybe I can build up a following too. And I put these posts up and like, I just had this phenomenal first month, which I think like was genuinely very lucky. Mm. And kind of the post that you found me through was basically saying how I've been doing this for 18 years and like none of the things have turned into something big, but doesn't stop me. And that posted really well. And that was really encouraging. And there were some lovely comments and feedback, including obviously now being here with you. Yeah. And then I did this post on um, when um, A16 invested in Adam Newman, like everybody was a bit confused. Well, I think a lot of the world are a bit confused. And I just did a post on this and like the logic of it and why A16 need to make big bets and given the yeah. size of their fund. And that post went bananas. Like that post ended up getting like three quarters of a million impressions on LinkedIn. Wow. Um, I mean, bearing in mind that in the whole of the previous year, I think I'd probably got 1,200 impressions on LinkedIn. Like that was nuts. And so I kind of actually, though it was obviously, it's a really nice fit. Like it, it's really nice after having kind of, been in isolation for so long building it's very nice just kind of having that kind of that positive feedback and so i've been trying to post and figure out how to post i would not say that i figured it out i think i've had kind of some lucky posts at the start but as we've we've connected and one i think you know from your posts i feel like just looking at it you're kind of a thought leader in this you know with a very unique your personal angle and twist right and then going off like i'll get the example of the home Adam Newman versus like your startup and giving that perspective. And I think there's a lot of passion about, you know, he maybe unfortunately he just depicts this like typical Silicon Valley or tech, you know, hot rod because he has a lot of uh, media coverage. He gets a lot of capital. He's a great fundraiser. Like you got to give it up. He's a fantastic fundraiser. Yeah, uh, Right. And he also opens up about, Maybe the he when he raised the last round for WeWork that was through the I'm just blanking out the super fund from Japan you know like that might have been the calling but look you you know he was looking at it like on a very futuristic perspective and I loved I personally loved WeWork and the way you presented it was very true like how do you combine a bunch of startups to kind of combine what he's trying to do and be at that level and. And at the All In podcast, they were describing like how uh, Andreessen Horowitz is becoming more and more like this day and age, JP Morgan. They want to do like everything from end to end for tech and startups. They have multiple funds. They just launched like gaming. They have a private equity late stage fund. That's where like kind of Adam Newman's funding came in. It's not like they're just purely early stage anymore. They're doing a lot. Uh, yeah. And they want to help the startups from end to end. That's good. It's good for the ecosystem. So I think it's great that you actually are showing uh, these in a, a more different perspective for people to see. And it's, I think that the engagement's great. And then the last question I was going to have is more kind of a holistic, you know, what's your thoughts about this year for the rest of the year um, and 2023 in the future? And, you know, where do you see yourself and like, you know, where do you see the, the world and uh, like 
Are you optimistic? Are you realist, pessimistic? Like what's your thought process and what's going to happen along with just like obviously in the tech sector and beyond? I honestly, I just, funnily enough, like I would give you an answer to that, but it's not actually the sort of thing I have a think about. Um, so I just be, no, not at all. I mean, it's a good question, but I kind of really, the older I've got, the more I've tried to make sure that I don't, don't pretend to answer things that I don't know the answer to. And obviously nobody knows the answer to this stuff. I mean, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a guess, kind of, I think. Well, again, you don't have to, uh, I mean, you could almost just talk about, you know, what you're excited about yourself and what you're doing, you know, that you like, you're passionate about that's upcoming. I know that's more of like a, a big picture thing. Some people have like their perspectives on a global round, but like, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe just about yourself and what you're excited well, about upcoming. So maybe I can take the intersection of those because I, I, I'm a bootstrapper and yeah, I right. don't know whether I'll, like it's possible I'll raise money for what I'm doing, but like because I want to continue building this company because I want to sell the company, that's not very well aligned to capital. That capital needs capital needs to grow and then be released. But one thing I would say that I think is interesting and I think is happening is that I think along with a greater amount of experience in the space, I think more entrepreneurs are realizing as entrepreneurs go through, like more of them who have taken capital have seen like how hard taking capital is or, or rather how hard it is to produce the environment you actually want to be in if you go down that route. So one thing I do think is starting to happen is I do think there's more move towards self-funded companies. And there are also new types of investment funds emerging as well that kind of have different investment structures that are that are geared towards those. So I think it's going to be interesting to see how that develops. And I think that your analogy of of steroids for the company is bang on. And, and one of the side effects of that is like, just like if you see some overweight factory farm turkey, like these yeah. It doesn't always create very healthy environments. And and I mm. think you need a little bit more time to create a healthy environment than you get in a normal venture-backed company. So I wonder if we'll kind of start to see more of a move towards um, or, or more things springing up in the kind of in the slower bake space. Yeah, thank Well, that's great. And Peter, it's been fantastic having you on the show. I really appreciate, uh, you know, your perspective on Candor on like basically the bootstrap angle uh sharing your story and yeah again keep it up uh the you know the linkedin posts it's uh it's great to see and thanks for being part of the chaber show uh peter nixie thank you so much Chabert. thank you for reaching out it's been a real pleasure bye everybody thanks again for listening in cheers yeah.